0: Hey everybody, welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing and all of our other podcasts over at blisterreview.com. Well, this episode today primarily features a ton of questions from you all. We asked you all to submit whatever gear questions or kind of life advice you might like to solicit from us. And then we sat down in Blister headquarters, actually on Cinco de Mayo, and Luke Coppa and I did our best to make it through a bunch of your questions, including ones like, if we had to opt for skis that were either too long or too short, which way would we go? What outdoor gear is in need of the biggest improvement? Someone asked, what should I do with my life? So, of course, we had some things to say about that. How old is too old to try your first backflip? And then we had a couple, I think, more serious and straightforward questions like, how does one start reviewing for Blister? And then in one of my personal favorite questions, we were asked if we could please provide an unbiased review and comparison of the Blister membership and our Deep Dive subscription and our Premier membership. I thought that was a pretty good question because I don't think we talk about the difference that often between our Deep Dive and Blister membership and the Premier membership. And so, of course, we provided an unbiased answer. And then we wrap up this episode with Luke Kappa giving us his review of the recent Beastie Boys documentary. But we open this episode with my review of this Pabst Blue Ribbon hard coffee. The timing of this was not exactly great. It was Cinco de Mayo, and I'm drinking hard coffee, but we did then transition to margaritas, which you could probably tell. Anyway, that's it. There's a whole lot going on in this episode. We hope you had a happy Cinco de Mayo. And now, here it is, my conversation with Luke Kappa from our Blister headquarters in Mount Crested Butte. Here we go. Well, Lou Kappa, happy Cinco de Mayo. Yep. <laughs> um, now, we have had this plan for a couple weeks now, but I, we really have mistimed this. We're going to do a random review to get us started with, I think it's safe to say, is the weirdest product I've seen in 2020 no? I would say I've seen saw some weirder stuff at outdoor
1: retailer but okay or that shampoo you sent me with that
0: has caffeine in it oh the caffeine <laughs> shampoo that's right well speaking of caffeine what I'm holding in my hand is a Pabst Blue Ribbon hard coffee now I had no idea that this existed Luke called my what does one say? called my attention to. Luke called my attention to this. I'm looking at the can. I haven't opened it yet. Um, It's a really ugly kind of tan looking can with the signature Pabst Blue Ribbon label on it. Can says 5% alcohol, hard coffee. Yeah, malt beverage with natural and artificial flavors contains milk and inexpensive beer. Sorry, I'm just reading the can. This is the original Pabst Blue Ribbon. Hard, as, a, as
1: opposed to the knockoff
0: version. Right. This is the original Pabst Blue Ribbon hard iced coffee with a dash of milk. This java brew balances a rich creamy blend with a whipped vanilla flavor. Now, I don't know why, but you know PBR and coffee, it's just never at any moment did I ever in, in time think, you know, what would be sweet, probably. Those two things together. Well, fortunately, it's not. It's not just PBR beer mixed with coffee. <laughs> All right, um, I'm gonna open this. It's probably gonna spray everywhere because this is kind of slamming around in my bag. But okay, scintillating radio right now. All right, what color is this? All right, this looks like the. It's your typical sort of, that weird. Starbucks Frappuccino looking thing. It looks like iced coffee. Otherwise known as iced coffee. <laughs> fair. I don't really do iced
1: coffee. Yeah, you're treating iced coffee as this foreign concept. Like well, the can looks exactly like every other iced coffee that comes in a can. Okay. The liquid That's, looks like
0: every other iced coffee. That's maybe fair. I just, I drink black coffee. Yeah. Here, uh, Here's my first sip of this strange beverage we
1: promise there's more to this podcast after this it's a white russian
0: that's not a bad comparison it's a total first sip totally a white russian yeah with a weird chemical smell it's the malt beverage finish (laughs) okay well
1: it's definitely like a white russian yeah my take was just that it tastes like Almost every time I go to a gas station, I get the Starbucks double shot iced coffee just because it has the most caffeine in it. Mm -hmm. And my complaint with that, as someone who also pretty much only drinks black coffee all the time, is that it's too sweet. And that's my primary complaint with PBR's coffee. But all in all, it's alcoholic
0: coffee, which (laughs) I consider to be a win. (laughs) (laughs) Coffee for alcoholics. Honestly, it's not bad. If you can get down with with right Russians or like, Kahlua, you know, that's... I don't know how you get that out of malt, like how you get that flavor coming from malt. It's the same way you get a
1: hard iced tea or a hard seltzer. It's just a minimal flavored alcohol mixed with something else. Okay. I've For those out there who want to try it, I'd recommend adding some extra coffee to it to make it a little less sweet.
0: Yeah, it'd be better with a little coffee. But yeah, the Upshot... White Russian, it's not nearly as awful as I thought this was going to be. So, I'm going to finish this, and then I'm going to join Luke in drinking a margarita in celebration of Cinco de Mayo, which is probably the weirdest, like, from basically... Terrible combination. Yeah. <laughs> I guess since we recently talked about me drinking a strawberry insure yeah. mixed with whiskey, it's...
1: Oh, yeah, that's not... Uh, coffee. And, I'd take coffee and margs over
0: whiskey and insure. <laughs> so that was Eric Friesen's fault. Anyway, cool. Thus sends our random review. And so what we're going to do now is get to, as promised, some of your questions. But then at the very end, we're going to talk a bit about the Beastie Boys story because I wrote a random review about this new live documentary, the Beastie Boys story, um, you can read that on the website. But I was super interested to have Luke check this out and see what he thought of it. And so we're going to talk about that at the end. So anyway, Luke, let's. Uh, why don't you start working us through some of the questions that came in this week? Yeah. So first off, we got a lot of them, and we're definitely not going to be able to get to all
1: of them right now. But we will be doing more of these episodes in the future. So some of these we'll save for future episodes and also apologies in advance for butchering some of these names, especially the usernames on Instagram, which tend to be all over the place. But since you just did a random review of an alcoholic beverage, I'll start off with two we got related to alcohol uh one is from at maddie p god who happens to be one of my old roommates um and his yeah and his question was what alcoholic beverage will give me the best performance in the outdoors and why our audio engineer j bob also happened to see this one he nominated a warm stout or cold tequila (laughs) I would definitely disagree with J-Bob on that one. I don't think I'd want either of those. Personally, Matt, I'm a big fan of if it's warm out and I'm doing some sort of activity, as lame as they are, White Claws are really nice because they don't fill you up. They're super easy to drink. They're not bad when they're warm, unlike a lot of beers. I'd say like 90% of the time, it's just PBR. Regular PBR, not the coffee version half the time I'm on a chairlift <laughs> not half <laughs>
0: I just kind of like I'm off looking at the mountains and then I look back over at Luke <laughs> and I just notice that a can has emerged that's weekends only Is that right? Yeah.
1: Okay. Uh, we've gone over this. <laughs>
0: okay. I'm definitely on the like I don't I don't drink and sport. Mm-hmm. Right? Like I uh yeah I mean, I have, man, probably the time that maybe comes to mind. First and foremost, we were down in New Zealand at Mount Olympus and Mount Olympus is known for like going hard on the Opre. And that's also where we were introduced to the drink grenades, which I don't even remember exactly what is in a grenade, but it's definitely Red Bull. And I think a number of different types of booze, but, you know, our good Kiwi friends can correct me on this. And I think somehow the, you know, Olympians somehow ended up having at least three or four grenades. And then you have to ski back to the cars at night. And I remember that being a very interesting and focused (laughs) or or attempt to focus uh, at at skiing. But yeah, generally that's not my jam. I kind of save it for Opry.
1: Um, yeah on that note at ryan d williams also asked what is the optimal beer to active hour ratio for hobbies such as skiing biking running and climbing hmm. um for me i will not drink at all if i run mostly just because i'll throw up immediately also pretty much the same for climbing and biking just because i'm still pretty bad at mountain biking (laughs) skiing it depends (laughs) a lot (laughs) I won't do it while I'm touring but if we're just building jumps and which means 80% of your time is either just walking around or watching your friends eat shit then you can get into a few an hour I'd say but that's pretty much the only one where I'll get past one an hour okay oh and then if you include fishing
0: unlimited (laughs) just go till you can't stand up do you want to give a shout out to our friend Brandon? Speaking of, well, fishing or floating?
1: Yeah, float floating's a. Sometimes that's not really a sport. That's just sitting on water and drinking. <laughs> that's out. in a whole category. How, of its own.
0: Is Brandon doing okay? He's doing great. We good. had
1: a great float this weekend. Um, yeah,
0: <clears throat> Brandon's my roommate who had a good time on Sunday. I was on the phone talking to Luke, and Luke just started cracking up and he started describing our boy Brandon attempting to make his way up the stairs. Yeah. We have to walk up five flights
1: of stairs at about mm, somewhere around like 9,200 feet. Um, And it's really hard regardless of your sobriety. But that was, we also have a porch that overlooks our parking lot, which made for great entertainment Mm -hmm. on my end. Okay. Next
0: question. What do we got? All
1: right. Now let's get into some actual gear questions. Um, Nicholas Pitcher asked, if every ski manufacturer stopped making skis that were the right size for you, would you buy skis that were 10 10 centimeters too long or 10 centimeters too short?
0: You go first.
1: As of right now, skiing at Crested Butte, I would go 10 centimeters shorter in part because we ski a lot of tight terrain and usually I'd take maneuverability over super high-speed stability. I think the main things that I'd be bummed about it would be really deep days and when I do feel like skiing really fast. But I feel like with a shorter ski, you can always just adopt a more centered stance, especially for someone of my size. I'm not a huge person. So like really long skis, like I'm already skiing skis that are significantly taller than i am so if i'm going way longer than that i find that more difficult to adapt to than a shorter ski and one thing i think of is just there are a ton of freestyle skiers out there who ski really short skis and like dylan siggers is a great example yeah he skis he's like i think over six feet maybe and he skis like 180 centimeter skis all the time and he's a phenomenal skier and looking at that i feel like i'd have less of an excuse to uh, complain
0: about it it's an interesting question especially if it's like if you were just out already clicked into a pair of skis so like you know we tend to go a little bit shorter the skinnier things get so it's like if we were out on our normal ski in that sense literally skiing the mountain and then someone was like you have to go 10 centimeters longer or shorter than what you are like literally clicked into right now, Mm -hmm. then I would say that question becomes really dependent on where I'm skiing. Um, So I could imagine, like speaking of New Zealand, a lot of places in the Southern hemisphere, I'd probably go longer. Crested Butte, I would not be inclined to go longer, but a little bit if it was like, okay, just start from scratch, go find some skis, well, then I would try to cheat a little bit and be like, only be looking at 188 to 192 centimeter skis, I mm-hmm. guess, and be like, all right, I'll just go down 10 centimeters from this. Yeah. But um, they're both terrible. Yeah, both yeah. hard.
1: And on that note, um, <laughs> one of our favorite usernames, FullZipAnorak, asked how much of a difference in ski length can you really feel without looking at or knowing the actual length of the ski? Um, This one is tricky because the vast majority of brands don't, they all make skis that are usually at least five or six centimeters between the lengths they offer. So there's not much of an opportunity to actually test this. But personally, I feel like, like you had mentioned this, like you get on a ski, You take them off, you go wherever, you come back, and all of a sudden that ski is magically two or three or four centimeters shorter. I think I I could definitely notice a four centimeter difference. This is all just conjecture, but I bet I could notice something down to three and maybe two centimeters, especially if it's a fully or mostly cambered ski. I feel like then you're going to, like, all of that length is actually contacting the snow if it's a super rockered ski i feel like it's a little less noticeable in most conditions but as people who ski a lot of skis different skis all the time i feel like i'm pretty sensitive to that
0: but what do you think the longer the ski the less you're going to notice a two centimeter difference so if we're talking about 196 centimeter bodacious and then you just made it a 194 like super don't care you're not going to notice it's going to be a whole lot less different than if you're starting with a a 178 and dropping that to a 176, etc. So that I think is sort of obvious. But yeah, I think that so the the bigger the ski in the first place, the less you'll notice, or I would notice a two centimeter difference. But for a lot of 98 millimeter wide skis, 108 millimeter wide skis, I do think I would detect two to three millimeters. And I would detect a two centimeter difference, definitely a three centimeter and four centimeters, that's like an entirely different ski. And and the hard part about, I mean, this is why sometimes when we can, we do try to get on skis in multiple lengths. Because sometimes it's like, wow, that actually feels like a pretty stable 184. And we'll tell people, like, don't be too quick to jump up in length on this. So I don't know that I think there is a hard and fast rule about how to, like, always better to go shorter or always better to air longer. Mm Kind of depends on the ski. But if the question is just what do you guys actually notice, yeah, I'd say... Be pretty sensitive to a two centimeter difference definitely a three and four centimeters i'd be like who stole my skis which is hilarious to
1: think about when you look at what two centimeters is but but it's it does, true yeah yeah it makes a difference and yeah it's in, like with certain skis like we'll get on two different lengths and be like well this longer length it's totally intuitive like it's more stable it's more sluggish but then there are certain skis where one length feels almost like a different ski entirely. Yeah. Um, so that's always nice when we can <laughs> test that out and see. Next question is from Patrick Klups, or Klups. Apologies. He had a good one. If you could choose only products from one brand, which brand would you choose to provide all of the essential gear you need for skiing? He framed it around backcountry touring, so that means skis, skins, bindings, boots, poles, outerwear, helmets, backpacks, gloves, goggles. I think that if we consider all of those things, I mean, Black Diamond's one of the only companies I I can think of that makes everything, especially the AVI equipment.
0: But not the boots.
1: But not the boots. And he did say, if you need to source one product from a different company, you can get away with that. So for me, I'm mostly framing this around... Skis, boots, bindings, um, and also considering skins. My first place was Armada, mostly because I lean towards the more playful end of the spectrum for skis. They make a lot of playful skis and they now offer the shift binding, so, and the warden and the STH. So it would be really heavy for my touring setups, but. I have liked a lot of their skis, and I think I'd be happier to compromise on the bindings rather than the skis, but they also don't make boots, which means I'd have to go somewhere else. Uh, For all of them, Atomic would probably be my second choice. I don't love all of their current skis, but they make two really good touring bindings, and between the two bent I'd be pretty happy and their boots are really good. Uh, I really like the new Hawks XTD Prime. And then if I get to cheat and talk about companies that are owned by the same company, then I go Marker Delbello Vocal because, again, they make Marker makes several good touring bindings and alpine bindings. I have gotten along quite well with the Delbello Lupo Pro HD and... I am liking a lot of vocal skis right now. So that would probably be like the best option, but it's not technically one brand.
0: Mm -hmm. I don't have a whole lot like different to say about, you know, that the only thing I'll say right now is I'm falling in love all over again with the zero, the Technica zero G tour pro boot. Um, I've been skiing and cycling through a lot of different AT boots and There are a number of, I think, really good boots out there. For me, that boot fits my foot pretty well. And I am, every time out, just still surprised by how well it walks, how well it skis, and especially how well it skis given how light it is. That thing still kind of blows my mind. And again, if it doesn't fit your foot, there are some really nice other options out there i become quite a big fan of that Lang X-T3. It's just a bit of a heavier boot, but it skis well, you know? And so as always, this is why you read our full reviews and we sort out the differences and nuances there. And then it obviously see what fits your foot best, but I'm a huge fan of that product. The other thing that I am like so blown away by is I'm really getting along well with these vocal skins. And given that my last experience with vocal skins was terrible, I know, like, I'm currently higher on these skins than you are, Luke. I'm definitely somebody that likes more grip on skins. Like, if we have to be, like, are you more of a glide person or more of a grip person? I'd rather have, like, a bit more grip. I care more about that than, like... The glide component but for me it's a pretty nice balance they're easy to rip they're not a pain to get unstuck first of all it's a monster improvement over their kind of vacuum skins from a few years ago i've kind of dodged the question so i mean i, I think for me to to give an answer on the like one company to do everything i'd probably have to come down on either solomon or atomic and i'll just kind of leave it at that Yeah. So I basically started I talked for ten minutes absolutely not answering Mm -hmm. the question and then I spent like thirty seconds kind of answering it. Yeah. So I think my work here is done.
1: (laughs) Yeah, basically. For reference, the skins we're talking about are the pre-cut ones you can get for the new Vocal Blaze one oh six, and they do not use the vacuum system. They have a more traditional adhesive and Yeah, I think I think they're good. I really like the glue. It's a nice blend of sticky but not too sticky and personally like i want to abm against some other skins but to me they felt like they didn't glide quite as well as i'd expect of a full mohair skin Mm -hmm. i thought the grip was great but we're actually doing with a lot of help from paul forward we'll be doing a climbing skin comparison very soon so
0: keep an eye out for that but the the thing i'll say and, and i think this is the telling part we're currently sitting in headquarters. We have a zillion pairs of skins in here. And I keep finding myself just grabbing the vocals skins and using them like for a number of like everything. Luke will be like, yeah, you know, go get on this ski. It's kind of 106, 108 underfoot, whatever. And he'll be like, you might just grab these other skins we have. And I just like, I, I always in- love when ignoring I ignore me. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I love it when I like ignore Luke. And I just keep grabbing the vocals and have been pretty happy with them so far, so.
1: Yeah, and yeah,
0: massive improvement over the vacuum ones.
1: All right, this one is from at VT. What outdoor gear is in need of
0: the biggest improvement and or has room for the most improvement? Some might argue that I do not have the background to answer this question. Rightfully so. But I'm gonna answer it anyway, because I'm right. Like, it's clearly snowmobiles. Uh, and I'm I'm talking about like we thought through this in terms of all ski equipment, all mountain bike equipment, all running stuff, climbing, backpacking, camping, whatever. Snowmobiles have the most room for improvement. And I'm gonna I'll argue two points here. One, despite all the pressure from friends in the Gunnison Valley to get a sled, I still haven't because I keep looking around and I'm like, nah. And then you just talk to these people. And sleds are expensive. They break constantly. They are just spewing. They stink. They're loud. I like the smell. <laughs> Luke likes the smell. But I'm just like, there is clearly, I think, more room for improvement of that product. And, I mean, we keep talking about, you know, these taiga electric sleds. And, you know, it's like, dear Tyga, come on, we're, we're, we're waiting for you here and rooting for you. And, and I don't know that that's going to be the perfect solution, but it does strike me that if Tyga has created an electric sled, there certainly are already, you know, we've talked about this. There's an episode we did on the Tyga electric sled. Like there's going to be performance improvements that those sleds will bring, but given that that is not a production product, you can't buy that today. I'm nominating snowmobiles. Definitely needs the most improvement. I think
1: we said this when we were looking back at like the decade in gear and predictions as someone whose feet are really messed up. Ski boots need to be better just for me.
0: I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah.
1: Your foot fits in everything. Like looking at the Zero G and even like the Scarpa Maestrali, we're getting boots that are lighter and lighter that are skiing and touring a lot better. And I feel like that's I feel like we'll see a 1200 gram ski boot that skis like a 1500 gram boot before we'll get on a 1200 gram ski that skis like a 1500 gram ski or more than that. Um, Also, this is super niche, but I have not been able to find like a really great storage system for a small mirrorless camera for skiing. I'm someone who doesn't carry multiple lenses most of the time, usually because I I can just run back to HQ and swap if I need to. But all the kind of internal cube style storage options I've found are just still way too big for a single mirrorless camera with a single lens. So that's super niche that no one really cares about. But I feel like as mirrorless cameras get more popular, maybe maybe we'll see better stuff there or I should probably just make one at this point it's pretty simple
0: wow i think i i feel like i picked the perfect time to make myself a margarita while you (laughs) went through that lengthy description everyone tuned out for Um, and just for the record i have uh i finished my pabst blue ribbon white russian and now uh we've moved on to to margaritas so thank you luke for bringing the for bringing the tequila and, and margarita mix yep All right, next
1: question. Um, This is actually from one of our new reviewers, Annalisa, and she had a good one. If you had to pick out the hard goods, soft goods items that are an exceptional value, what items are an exceptional bang for the buck? And I thought of a few. The first, in terms of hard goods, the Star Menace 98 retails, I think I have my facts straight, at $500. And it's one of the best skis in that category that we've used for either directional skiers who want something slightly more playful that's still pretty stable or the opposite more playful skiers who want something that's more stable than a lot of like the park-oriented skis in that class and it's been around forever under a few different names but the same construction so i've seen people who have found brand new pairs for like 150 bucks they frequently go on sale for under 300 dollars and it's far from a bad ski. Um, so that was one of the best I thought of. The Line Sick Day series is the other one I thought of. They vary across the widths, but one of our favorites, the Sick Day 104, retails for 600 But I've seen it on sale for 400 even in the current season at the end of the year. And it's also been around for several years now. And that's a phenomenal, lightweight, all-mountain ski or 50-50 ski or a heavy backcountry ski. And then in terms of outerwear, uh, the first one that I thought of was a relatively new brand that's been, I've seen blow up in Colorado, basically just this last season, Montec Wear. I tried one of their Anoraks uh, last year and it retails for like 200 bucks, but the waterproofing seemed totally adequate. It's insulated, which will be polarizing for a lot of people. I don't like insulated shells most of the time because they're, you can't vary your layering system as much, but it's warm, it's waterproof, and it looks really cool. It doesn't look like most other options on the market, and it's really rare that you get all of that and at a good price. And I think that's a huge reason why I saw more and more people wearing it this year. I hope that they kind of expand their line into... A lot, or at least a few more uninsulated shells, because um, I think those are good options for a lot of people. But at 200-ish dollars, it's a really good deal. And then Flylow, I think across the board makes a lot of stuff that's a very good value. Their baker bibs retail for 420 dollars, which is definitely not cheap. But another product that's been around forever, you can find it on sale. You can find it for I saw a few options under 250, and that is still. Our benchmark in terms of the most durable ski pants you can get. So when you take into account longevity, it becomes even more appealing for the price. And then finally, OpenWear still make my favorite inbounds jacket of all time. It retailed for uh, a little under $450, depending on the exchange rate, which isn't cheap, but it's totally in line with a bunch of jackets that are $600 plus and the company was coming back this year, and I'm really hoping the whole COVID situation doesn't prevent that. Because, yeah, I, I mean, anyone who's read our
0: reviews this season knows that I still wear that all the time. I just want to point out, since you guys can't see Luke right now, he literally started smiling when he started talking about open wear and then just kept smiling <laughs> the entire time. It was quite touching. Really good jacket. Yeah. Those were great answers. I don't have anything really to add. I think you covered that ground well, but I really like Annalisa's next question. What are your MVPs from your quarantine outfit quiver? And I have, I mean, this is a great question, largely because I've worn like four things over the last, I mean, not counting like ski gear or stuff we're testing, but when I'm home, I... I have talked about this, and I have been banging this drum for a long time now on Blister, but the Toad & Co, I believe it's called the Eye Pants or Pajamas, still unbelievable. I had a pair that I was reviewing. I bought a second pair. I live in these things. I literally changed out of them to at like 5 p.m. today to come over to headquarters to record this. People that don't own Toad & Company shut-eye pajamas are just, I feel like you're doing life wrong and you're at least doing quarantine wrong. That is my take. That is all. As someone who turned off all their heat a few weeks ago when it hit
1: a balmy like high of 50 here in Crested Butte, the Patagonia Nano Air Pants, which I've mentioned several times before are my take on the most comfortable, best lounge pants ever, even though they were designed as like a technical alpine climbing piece. Are those super warm? No, that's well, they're made from the same fabric and insulation as the Nano air jacket. So mm. it's insulated, but the whole thing's really breathable. Mm. and the fabric is just really soft and it slides over la- over or under layers really well. It has pockets. They're hideous, but they're <laughs> incredibly comfortable most comfortable pants I've worn. And then for tops, gibberish, uh, if you're not familiar brand out of Denver, they drop a few kind of streetwear style collections throughout the year. And they make uh, these t-shirts that are made from Supima cotton, which is essentially just really high quality cotton that's uh, long staple fibers. And they're the most comfortable t-shirts I've ever worn. So I've been pretty much living in gibberish supima t-shirts and the patagonian Air pants
0: other than that it's uh it's t-shirts that i've been wearing for like eight days in a row and and i'm just like well i probably should take this off or wash it and then i'm like why i so. do
1: just to like give my life some semblance of civility <laughs> mm, yeah fair enough where are we going next all right so this question is from i believe it's You'd say it at easy 69 How old is too old to try your first backflip? Which I think is a great question. Great question. I mean, I'm not really one to speak on getting too old for stuff, seeing as in 23. Um,
0: <laughs> Fun fact about Luke is he never knows how old he is.
1: Once you get past 21, it doesn't matter. Yeah. But I would say you could be very old, just find or build one a jump that is very lippy or very straight up in the air and to do it in a spot with a bunch of fresh snow cuz landing in even like if you can find a foot of pow it's pretty hard to really mess yourself up like that like like again i can't speak for getting super old yet but i wouldn't worry about it too much like a backflip is it's one of the harder tricks to get seriously injured on, I feel like, unless you're landing on super firm snow and, like, land on your head. Although, my roommate Brandon did that last year, and he was fine.
0: Yeah, but he's, like, 18. No,
1: he's, like, 27.
0: That was just a joke. <laughs> Brandon's 27? Wow. Brandon, I'm sorry to say Luke is way more mature than you. <laughs> I think this answer mostly just comes down to how good is your health insurance. That, too. Honestly, I'm like, if it's good, I think go. I think send it. Yeah. I, for what it's worth, I've crashed
1: on a lot of backflips over the past two or three years. And the worst thing was actually the only times I got hurt was when I like tried to save one that definitely sh- I should not have tried to save, like trying to pull out of a super backseat, uh, run out. And that's when like I minorly tweaked my D, but one of the better tricks to try is just really intimidating um but my advice is to hang out with a bunch of people younger than you who peer pressure you like crazy and that usually helps too yeah
0: i'm jumping in here just because i feel like talking about it i like this question what would your preferred day be to break out a mono ski? we're gonna find out hopefully <laughs> if you people keep rating gear 30 because as we keep saying if we get to 1,500 ratings in Apple Podcasts of Gear 30, we are literally going to go to Alaska and go heli monoskiing. Another fun fact here, this week on our Blister podcast, I published a conversation with Henry Munter, the, the general manager and a lead guide at Shugach Powder Guides, and it took every bit of restraint in me to not broach this topic with Henry But you've heard Paul Forward talk about this on past Gear 30 episodes. Henry is a huge monoski fan. I think he's pretty disappointed that we didn't talk about heli monoskiing in the conversation I had with him. But I think given this vision that I have in my mind, definitely my answer, like ideal day is like make it as deep as possible and like deep and open terrain would be sweet. And then, like, well, if we happen to be coming out of a helicopter, as long as it's, like, not super gnarly techie terrain where you're going to ragdoll over, like, 60-foot cliffs, I mean, what's not to like about that? I'd say super slushy spring day. Cause just like
1: unlimited edge grip, forgiving snow, easy to pivot. I don't think I want to feel the bottom
0: on a mono ski.
1: Well, how are I you going to
0: learn how to mono ski? Then? I don't really, I just want to have fun on the mono ski. Yeah. So I'm thinking bottomless.
1: Yeah. I, I think spring days mostly just cause like, I feel like if I'm going to get on a mono ski, I have to dress in like super short jorts and like a Hawaiian shirt or something. Um, and I don't really want to do that in deep cold powder, but. Yeah, we will hopefully be trying that uh, next year. All right, what's our next? So this one comes from Tyler Curl. Mm. Um, He submitted several questions. Best Anorak jacket coming out for the 2020-2021 season.
0: Um, That's an oxymoron. (laughs) I mean, how do you even choose? There's so many good options. That's like saying, like, since you love my analogies... Who's the nicest Hitler?
1: Yeah, it doesn't really work because there's only one. Um, Tyler, I would say, well, there's a few that I didn't get to try. The Nerona one that Jonathan almost like died trying on. Yeah, that's That one looks amazing. Uh, <laughs> that's a terrible one. And then the Houdini shelter was probably my favorite from this year. And then Amundsen, I tested their peak Anorak last year, which was... a Pretty impressive piece mostly because of well the, it looks really cool and then it uses a cool shoulder fabric they're coming out with one that i cannot remember nor pronounce its name but basically just looks really really cool it comes in white and tan and it uses a very interesting primarily cotton supposedly waterproof breathable fabric i'm um, so bored right now <laughs> yeah well anyways that one looked amazing i think it started with an s But yeah, Houdini, Nerona, Amundsen would be my picks for that. He also said, I'm considering buying Crocs. Based off your experience, what should I get?
0: Do you know that I've never, ever in my life had Crocs on my feet? Hmm. Have you?
1: Yeah. I've never owned a pair. Or maybe I did when I was like really small. I've tried on, my other roommate has a pair of camo ones that we ironically misplace constantly. But... I don't know. I think if you can get them cheap, Tyler, you should go for it and you should make some custom moment skis giblets to shove in the little holes. They're the little like pins you can put in them so you can customize your crocs because they have the little holes and yeah, anyway, you are talking about. Right?
0: Um, do I need to try crocs or not?
1: Uh, I mean, do you wear slippers? Yeah. It might be worth trying them this summer. They're more breathable.
0: More, more breathable because there's <laughs> holes in them <laughs>
1: um you
0: know i love flip-flops yeah i don't know if you, i mean they're slip in slip off they, they seem like i don't know i hate jello and they just look like they're made of jello they're so not that hate. squishy okay yeah jello is disgusting
1: actually Can that you- reminds me i so i have i refused to buy wading boots last year for fly fishing and I still haven't and my waiters leak, so I've been just putting my waiter booties inside of Chacos. But now I think I need to get crocs for that.
0: Cause I feel like they'd be better. I feel like I need to take over the questions. Are you asking the best questions that we've got a bunch here? Are these are these our strongest? No offense, Tyler. You're great. We love you, Tyler. <laughs> yeah. Um next one. This is
1: from at two underscore bay. Is it worth buying used gear for your first touring setup?
0: Sure. Yeah, Just, I would say totally. But take a class first. Don't like don't worry about the gear. Step 1. Read books, take classes. Then yeah, get the cheapest stuff you can find. That's fine. But don't yeah. don't go and make bad decisions.
1: Yeah, that's always important to reiterate, but especially now that we're like a few years out of I feel like when general touring gear was starting to get good all of a sudden i think there are a lot of really good used options yeah touring gear is really expensive and getting a used setup is a great way to get into it and then you can kind of figure out what you like what you don't like about that setup and see where you want to go from there because it's really hard to tell like how much you're gonna care about the weight of your binding or the weight of your skis or the composition of your climbing skins until you actually try stuff. So yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of getting a used setup. For your first touring setup, that's what I did. And I now enjoy touring much more, having tried different stuff, but I was totally content skiing on that setup for my first season in the backcountry. Um, we got two kind of more general ones from all things snow and Williams world. One was what are you most passionate about? And the other one was what makes you happiest? These are pretty deep questions.
0: Yeah. Most passionate about arguably is my hatred of anoraks. Yeah. But if that's kind of like answering the question with a negative. So if I didn't, what do you, I'll I'll defer to you.
1: I, I think for both, like, just a a good ski day is what probably makes me happiest and two is what a lot of my life decisions right now work up to. Like I work so I can ski. I like just everything I do for most of the year. Now that I think of it as kind of sad, but a lot of it goes towards just skiing and whether it's skiing perfect pow or... Skiing slushy spring days with my friends in the park, or finally getting up and skiing down like a line I've been looking at for a long time in the backcountry. I feel like those are, when I'm looking back, those are some of the most positive experiences in my life.
0: Hmm. I do love great conversations, which, and I'm not saying this is one of our, you know, it's probably like the best conversation I've ever <laughs> had in my life, but you know like so i think it it turns out that that uh that probably fits pretty well given how many different c- conversations i'm in each week with very interesting people but i think like finding yourself like in it like in a really good conversation with a friend or somebody you've just met or some really accomplished person those those are those are things that are always really energizing and exciting and then i definitely have said things like I'm a big fan of excellence. And I think whether it's watching it, whether it's attempting to get better at something myself, I think like that pursuit of excellence or just sitting back and watching excellence is always something that is also very energizing and kind of inspiring. Yeah, I think those are kind of my, what makes me happiest reviewers who don't use cliches in their reviews it's pretty high up there i feel
1: like that's more just what doesn't make you angry (laughs) yeah those are a couple of them all right um this one's from rory if ski lifts open tomorrow what skis would you be on Um, this is fairly open-ended could be like what skis do you want to spend more time on what or like if like maybe you only got one, you got one bonus day to ski in the resort. What ski would you choose to be on just for fun? Both of those.
0: Yeah, this could be a whole ton of answers. But if it was like, hey, we're going to give you guys one day with the lifts spinning and just just have a good time and it's spring skiing, definitely could be a number of answers. But from a just fun point of view, I might grab the Mantra 102. I love that ski. Shut up. Shut up, Luke. Fun is not the word that comes um, to mind when I think from, of it. From a review point of view, it would actually probably be... The I, wider Mantra 102. Yeah the, yeah, the Katana 108. I mean, I'm still kind of touring on that ski. It's just hilarious. But um, it, yeah, it turns out it would be kind of nice to be able to just bang some chair laps on the Katana 108. So, yeah, like I said, many possible answers to that question, but I would I would go with those two. Yeah, right now we have a ton of
1: skis. I mean, I would be happy no matter what if the lift right. starts yeah, spinning. Literally. I'd be like, I don't have to walk up hill. Yeah. Um, but the, the line Sir Francis Bacon is my favorite spring ski of all time, um, so I would get on that easily. In terms of stuff I really want to spend time on, using mechanical access to get uphill, the j skis Hotshot is the ski that replaces the j skis metal for next year and it looks like a ski that i could love it's very heavy it's not very stiff it has a twin tip and i mean i've liked all of the j skis skis i've gotten on so i anticipate that i will like it a lot but it weighs about the same as that katana 108 and i'm not super eager to haul it uphill so we'll see, but yeah, if I could spend half the day on the bacon, half the day on the hot shot, I suspect I would be very content. What's next? Uh, Rory also asked, This will be a quick one. He asked about basically the details of ski tuning and like what does a one degree base bevel mean. Um, and we won't go into this one right here, but the good news is Sam Shaheen did a full podcast with uh, one of head, uh, Head's ski tuners, and that is episode 70 of Gear 30. So that will provide plenty of information on ski tuning.
0: All right, where are we going?
1: So, Full Zip Anorak uh, asked us about basically the idea of traveling with one pair of skis uh, to both use for riding lifts and for touring. Um, he had used the shift binding and had issues with it, so he's looking into Quiver Killer inserts and basically asking us to comment on it. Are they dumb? General impression of Quiver Killers. I will say, I a couple of years ago, I used Quiver Killers basically for this exact purpose. I went up to Canada, and we were doing a mix of touring around Rogers Pass and then skiing in the resort around Banff and Revelstoke. And... They worked quite well for me, but they are far from quick or super easy. I had my Alpine bindings on there were a Solomon Warden, and then I had Dinafit uh, Rotation 10 bindings. And yeah, if if you're doing the one day touring, one day resort, and you like the ski you're going to put on them for both, then I think they're a very solid choice. Definitely like cost effective if you already have those bindings, which was my case. So yeah, I was a fan. They just take a while to swap bindings. It's nothing like like a cast system or a Duke PT where you can just take the toe piece off. But yeah, I think they're great for traveling. They also let you travel with your skis flat, which can be a big help if you're really tight on luggage. But yeah, if you're if you're doing one-day touring, one-day resort and not trying to switch midday definitely a good option. I never had any real issues with him. Just to expand on his question and create one that he didn't ask. If We answer this in our Ski Quiver questions every year, but after skiing a bunch of skis this season, if you had to pick one for everything around the world, touring and resort, what would you pick? So
0: one (laughs) one ski for both touring and... And resort all over the world. So I would have actually formerly said... The 188 centimeter Solomon QST 106. The older, or lighter one. The older, lighter. And I'm not mad at Solomon for going heavier on that ski. Not mad at all. But if I'm, you know, if I'm going to be touring a lot, which I do, particularly in the spring, like I don't want to get too, too aggressive on the weight end of things. So, man, I'm so I'm a little caught off guard. And Luke, you might even know like the actual answer but I'm finding myself looking right now at the Sego Condor. Interesting. huh? I, I really got along well with that ski and I have not skied it in bounds and, and I'm not that tempted to given mm-hmm. its weight. What should the answer for me be, Luke? Uh, I don't know. That's
1: your call. Uh, personally, after getting every, on, a, on a bunch of stuff this season – I don't think I have enough time on any particular ski for me to change my decision from my quiver selection, which was if I get to cheat and go the custom route, the romp skis 100 that they built. Yeah. It's like the perfect 50 50 weight for me. I like everything else about the shape, flex pattern, rocker profile, et cetera. If I don't get to go custom the lines for Francis Bacon, just cause like it's, it's definitely an inappropriate ski for a lot of conditions, but it's just hard to have a, bad time on that ski the one contender that i've been liking a lot this spring is the new ski slacker which is heavier than the bacon also a bit wider but also more stable and
0: probably a bit more versatile i don't really know yet but that's my take simon winkler 69 said please say <laughs> Och cat's schloff i think i nailed that Pronunciation. Yeah, it's spelled OACHKATZLSCHWOAF. It's clearly pronounced Oach Swath. So moving on. Nailed it. You're welcome, <laughs> Simon Winkler69. Do you intend to branch out into reviewing ski mountaineering equipment such as ice axes and crampons? Sure. I'm going to go with sure. All right. <laughs> That was from, we got Patrick Clups back. in. Patrick Clups bring in the questions. I don't, I don't. <laughs> uh, Patrick Clups really, really uh, bringing the, the goods here when it comes to the questions. He then also asked, could you please provide an unbiased review and comparison of the Blister membership, Deep Dive membership, and Premier membership? That's actually a really good question. After a decade of doing this, I think people are pretty comfortable with the idea that I basically tell the truth. Yeah. I feel like I probably leave people with that impression. Yes. Right? Sometimes more than they'd like. It's usually usually the thing about me is not like, we're not sure if Jonathan's being honest. It's we wish Jonathan wouldn't be so honest. Yeah. So it's a good question, Patrick. And I feel like we should probably talk about this more. So let's talk first about the deep dives my honest opinion if you claim to be passionate about skiing and you are not at least a deep dive subscriber i think you need to question how serious you are about gear full stop it's 29 a year and we spend more time on all of this equipment i think it's fair to say than anybody else on the planet we have the ski manufacturers coming to us to ask our opinion about what's good out there. How does this ski compare to this other ski? So frankly, at a minimum, if you are passionate about skiing and you've listened to a gear 30 podcast, where we're talking about this like an hour in now, and you're questioning the value of a deep dive membership to me, that is like minimum level. And again, standing by, like when we go into comparisons of this ski versus that ski, I'm not sure that there is, frankly, like a consistent source that is as authoritative about the actual differences of these products. And especially about as many products. And especially about as many. So that's one. And by the way, I guess we'll say it again in case somebody doesn't know, We don't take any advertising dollars from any of these companies. We've been turning down a ton of money for 10 years now. So that if we're saying we like a product, you never have to wonder, is it like, well, did those guys just get, is like, were they paid to say that? Answer, no, not ever, not once. Okay, that's my take on the deep dive. Luke, is there anything we need to add or do you want to contradict me on anything about that I've said about the deep dive?
1: I think the next one blister membership is like, if you're a gear nerd, I think that's even more appealing than the deep dive, but the deep dive I think can be extremely useful for those people who are like, okay, I want a a hundred ish millimeter wide all mountain ski. There are a billion on the market and I want to know exactly how these 10 options, even like, even if you're still at 10, I want to know how they compare. The deep dives are perfect for that, I think, because like you said, like you're not going to get those clear, honest comparisons anywhere else. So I think just to add on to what you already said, like for those people who are either honed in on a particular category or looking to expand their quiver or whatever, I think those are extremely useful for buying decisions in particular.
0: Blister membership.
1: Yeah, I mean, the Blister membership, like, you get all the deep dives, everything with the deep dive subscription, and then for the big gear nerds like myself, like, before I started working here, our flash reviews are, I think, a really interesting take on, like, you see the whole review process Yep. from the first day to the third day before our full review gets published, you see, like, oh, here's what they thought here's what they thought immediately. Like we just posted this first look of the ski. Here's what they thought after the first day. And then here's what they thought when they got it in slush or when they got it in pow. And you just, you almost get to see like the thought process go on almost as if you were skiing the ski or you just got a ski and you're kind of learning it as you go. Um, So I think the flash reviews are very interesting in that regard. And then not to mention you get, deals on a bunch of brands um, including a bunch of ski brands and some more that will be coming out with this summer and then you get to one of the biggest draws for a lot of people is you just get to ask us directly like here's my background here's the skis I like here's what I don't like what should I get and I think that can be a huge value for not only the people who are super into gear but also especially the people who are like I don't have time to research every ski on the market, like, can you guys just tell me what I should get and we will work with you and go back and forth as much as we need and figure out exactly
0: what your best options are. Here's my take on the Blister membership. Honestly, I would say that in the past, we messed up by not doing what we are now doing with our flash reviews. And we haven't talked about this before, by the way, ever. But I think what was happening is, and we know because we are extremely passionate skiers ourselves, we know how it is. It's like, hey, we got, you know, you guys got some ski in and maybe you wrote a first look. And then maybe we didn't get the right conditions yet to go get on that product. And so we get hammered with emails all the time like, dude, tell me about this ski. I'm dying to know about this thing. And I think this is, I think we messed up on this in the early years with the Blister membership that we weren't putting enough flash reviews out. And what I kind of mandated earlier this season was our flash reviews are going to now be this kind of almost real-time Dear Diary type thing. So Luke just explained very well, like, what our flash reviews do and it is really it the way that i describe this literally to our reviewers is it's like when i text paul forward which i do this all the time with a bunch of our different reviewers like hey man what are you thinking of that new ski and paul will usually write back these kind of lengthy you know but casual texts and luke and i do this all the time we do this with all of our reviewers and i was like this is actually super interesting information and it's like we owe it to our blister members to keep blister members up in the you know up to speed with how we're thinking about a given product. Now, the other thing to say is as we do point out in our flash reviews like this is where we are allowed to revise mm-hmm. our opinions and that's why we're not publishing them as the full review. But I don't know I mean go talk to somebody who's an active blister member and you guys can all like this is our promise and our commitment our flash reviews are going to be coming out more and more and more frequently because we just identified that's actually a really good value add and if we weren't the people at blister this is exactly what I would want to know so that addresses kind of the flash review thing and um Like I said, I wish I had that idea and that conception of things earlier, but well, here we are. The deals, like if you are going to purchase a ski anyway, and a blister membership gives you a discount from one of the manufacturers that you're considering, right? Just get a blister membership and save yourself some money. This is like not even economics 101. Uh, Third point you do get to email us with questions. This is what we can't do, unfortunately. We can't just become your pen pals. If you actually have a specific question about like, hey guys, I'm trying to figure out whether to go this boot or with that boot or this ski versus that ski or this bike versus that bike. Or this jacket. Or this jacket. Any specific gear questions, that is the thing top of the line that we will... Our, our commitment is we will get you back those answers. And we do apologize. We get so many emails that we can't just get into kind of fun hypothetical pen pally type things. Unfortunately, we can't do that. But if there is a specific gear question, we will answer it. And if we're being honest here, you want our answer and not some fucking answer from curated.com. It's easy to call yourself an expert right, and there's a lot of people in the world doing this nowadays, calling themselves experts, all I know is you're welcome to judge us on what you read on the actual site. And if there's another entity out there writing 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 word reviews and are pointing out exactly how much time they're spending on all of this stuff, if, if they're proving their expertise, by all means, go with them if you feel like it but if they're simply calling themselves experts, I'd like to think that you, dear listener, are not that stupid. You know, a lot of people have Patreon sites and that kind of thing. I would sort of like to believe, but I totally respect your right to just judge for yourselves. Like I said, we have turned down a lot of money over the years by accepting no advertising dollars from any outdoor gear manufacturer. And if... Our work matters to you if you have found there to be value here. I just think we all have to realize that supporting the companies, whether it's newspapers that are providing really good in-depth journalism and reporting, we need to pay for subscriptions to support them. And if you guys are finding merit in what we're doing, a Blister membership is a great way to show that support. And if we're not providing any value, then don't. I want to then know why you're still listening to this podcast an hour <laughs> and fifteen minutes into it.
1: Yeah, the only thing I'd add is listed membership also gets you a print
0: and/or digital buyer's guide. You do. You get a beautiful print edition of our buyer's guide. This is the best winter buyer's guide ever, in my humble opinion. But you can check it out for yourselves. Um, yeah, like everything we try to do around here, except maybe this particular podcast conversation (laughs) if we're putting it out there we have labored over this thing and uh we hope that that comes through in the work all right premiere membership the thing with the premiere membership honestly this is where this is where the premiere membership makes the most sense if you're like as luke kind of already alluded to earlier if you're like listen man i really appreciate what you guys do i just don't have time to like sift through all the reviews and all the rest. Can I just get you guys on the phone? And you know, that's what premier members do. And um, I will say, having run this program now for a number of years, premier members come back. It is an extremely high uh, rate of resubscription. You know, often these are frankly very smart, very busy, very accomplished people. And they are just like, listen, uh, love what you do. Don't have a ton of time. I've got this trip coming up or it's finally time to replace this boot or this ski. Here's what I like. This is what I do. Can we just hash this out pretty quickly here? And we do. And it's awesome. And I'm, by the way, super proud and feel pretty honored and kind of humbled by the premier members who call us up. These are, as a rule, incredibly interesting people. And uh, that's kind of nice when folks like that are like, appreciate what you do can we just get right to it
1: yeah i had some like i remember several rides up the silver queen lift at crested butte last year where i was on the phone with a premier member like sorting out the skis that they were looking at right at that moment and fortunately they called me when i was on that lift because the backside of crested butte would not have gone through but yeah whenever you need where I think you, when you first came out with it, you called it the Bat Phone, And yep. that's pretty much what it is.
0: Yep. A passionate <sighs> and honest take on the Deep Dive Blister membership and Blister Premiere membership. I think we'll close out the questions because we're already going
1: super long with a few of the funnier ones. We got um, from Dunk Zan. It was just, <laughs> I'm Ron Burgundy, question <laughs> mark. Which no, is you're, no, you're not. <laughs> Quote from no, you're not Anchorman. No, you're not Dunkin'. That out. one it got
0: me to laugh. So, so good. Um, but this next one, I want to dance for his next one. The what should I do with my life? Yeah, <laughs> I'm here to provide. All right, go for it. We said we were going to provide life coaching. That's true. Uh, what you should do with your life quickly and in the near term. Read either or both. Pierre Adot's Philosophy as a Way of Life and or Thoreau's Walden. That should take care of it for you. That's my short answer.
1: All right. This is one from our reviewer. Dylan Wood asks, how do I get my wife to sleep in the same bed as me again? Um, First off, Dylan, congrats on the marriage. Uh, I didn't know you were married. Sorry to hear that you're probably getting divorced. Another-
0: I would just answer that. You have no chance- yeah, well, yeah, knowing Dylan, yeah, there's no chance. Just give it up right now.
1: <laughs> David Wesley Hins, I believe, uh, asked about an updated review by Sam Shaheen of Tinder amidst these tough times. And we also got a request uh, about the Sam Shaheen reviewing the reviewer episode. That's, those are very
0: good questions. Both of those, probably it'll be one in the same. We will do a reviewing the reviewer episode with Sam, and we will ask him that question in the episode. All right. Okay.
1: Why the shell not said, would you rather be able to sneeze glitter or fart sparkles and why? I have a very clear answer. I would fart sparkles because it's contained for the most part, whereas sneezing, even if you cover it with your elbow or your hand, that's going everywhere. And glitter I I don't know what sparkles technically are, but glitter sticks to everything and it's impossible to get off all your stuff. So, yeah, I would fart sparkles.
0: Yeah, I found this to be this is an appalling option. Like I yeah, I can't even I don't know. It's just like maybe just kill yourself. Like if that's your That's a little harsh. Yeah, okay. So I wouldn't kill myself. <laughs> I would go How often do you fart and sneeze? <laughs> yeah, I guess I would just do the sneeze one and then just but that's terrible. Those are. I they're feel just, bad. Like, just buy more underwear. There's probably like one person on Earth who actually has this. There's like a they're name. A for the, there's a name for the condition. So yeah, terrible, awful. I feel. I hope. Hopefully, no one ever has to deal with that. We also got this one. How does one start reviewing for you, cool cats? Asking for a friend, of course. Well, I think if we've proven anything in this particular conversation, we definitely are not cool cats, but. I don't know, Luke. You're the managing editor. How does one start reviewing for us?
1: Yeah. So, our standard process is to have people basically, for example, if you want if you think you're you'd be a good ski reviewer, we'd have you submit a draft review of a ski that you've spent a lot of time on, formatted similarly to how we format our reviews, except for nerdy stuff like flex numbers and measured specs and photos. And basically, we just take a look and compare it to the reviews that our other reviewers submit. And it's a very simple process on our end. If it's as good or preferably better, then we start talking about getting you new gear to review. If it's not, we just can't afford to put in the time to spend a lot of time editing uh, and working with new people, but we're always happy to bring on new reviewers. And so that's our standard process. And the contact us form on our website is the best option
0: for that. I think probably being good at accepting tough criticism. That's probably, that's probably good. Noah Bodman once like literally got mad at me for um, the, let's say aggressiveness Of some of my comments in response to someone's first review but it's just like look we've we've tried to set a certain bar and we're not perfect like and we're always like straining as hard as we can to do better at this stuff but that's the whole point is like none of us have this dialed I always believe that we can kind of push the bar a little bit higher and so frankly I think this is really hard to do and I think many people don't really think it's that hard or don't really mm. appreciate what goes into this and that so it's kind of like if you're sort of like lazy or mediocre please don't write us and I don't even mean like you're as a skier I mean in your ability to articulate the nuances of what a given product does or doesn't do and and I just I've come to see over the last 10 years like not that many people are that good at that and doesn't make you good person or bad person it's a weird skill set but some people are better at that than others clearly and when you submit that review we can't afford to like be like oh that was wonderful you're so great at this it's kind of the opposite of that in case you didn't pick up on that this conversation right. already <laughs> so and i think i think you know and so i just think like our best people when they've probably got torn to shreds on their initial review are like, cool, got it. And they, they they embrace that challenge and aren't like sad about it or pissed off about it. But we just, we've like, we've worked too hard over the years to, to create a certain standard and set a certain bar. And again, we're not happy with where the bar is at. We're always trying to like push it higher but you better be on board for that. And if you think this is just like a fun time thing, just don't, please don't write us. It's not. (laughs) Please don't write us. Last question before we get to your Beastie Boys story review, what do you got for our last one for today? Uh, So at Spencer
1: Lindenberg asked, what's the most hilarious ski slang term you know? There are, there's not like one standout, like... I mean, just a lot of the snow conditions, like chicken heads, it's not, I mean, it's not like a weird term, but it's just funny how accurate it is when you actually ski frozen chicken heads or mashed potatoes, or I always get a kick out of the X Games when the announcers who are trying to be professional have to say screaming semen. Um, Just like, oh yeah, that was a sick screaming semen. And like, it's, it's fine when like, like Tom Walsh has been announcing now, and like, but like some of the guys who aren't quite as into the scene when they have to say that. Or I, I like when they say like cap tail grab instead of blunt grab and just like all the ways of getting around saying what the actual common term is. Huh.
0: I don't know that I have. I either use it so often, I can't even think of it, but I'm yeah. not sure I have a favorite. I like boinger, boingers and dongers too. That was fun. Yeah. yeah that was good. It is time, I've been waiting for this moment. Again, I wrote this thing on our website about kind of did this quick random review of the Beastie Boys story and two things here. One, I am definitely not in on the like old people move where old people come in and are like, this thing from 30 years ago was way better than anything that is happening today. Like, it's like, that's a lazy move that usually is a sign that you're not paying attention to what's going on. And I was, I felt a little bad. Like, I, I stand by everything I wrote in that Beastie Boys story random review. But what I definitely did not mean to give the impression of was that there, that there are not like incredibly talented and amazing artists out there today. I, it's not, I don't think that. And so it really got me interested in thinking like, you know, I lived through this era with the Beastie Boys and I was like, I wonder what Luke and I texted Luke and I was like, did you remember this stuff as it was going down or like what, you know, what was your take on this? And then that kind of turned into like, you should watch this. And I'm just kind of curious from a sort of generational point of view, if Luke watched this live documentary and was like, meh. And cause, like maybe this doesn't translate. and that would be okay. So, Luke, no pressure whatsoever, but you're basically now speaking for the entire generation of early twenty somethings with your with whatever you're about to say about your opinion of Beastie Boys story.
1: yeah, so I'm a fantastic uh, example of my generation because <laughs> I have never ever been super into hip hop. Um, and I was born in 1996. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I like, I always knew about the Beastie Boys. I was never one to really seek out their music and listen to it. So I didn't know much about them. I knew. They were one of the first big hip-hop acts. I knew they kind of blended punk and hip-hop, which was strange to me when I first heard about it. When you were in high school, like, is anybody talking about this? The only experience I had with the Beastie Boys was our senior class in my high school. It was an all-guys high school. We would do, like, a satirical play-slash-musical. Yeah. And two of my friends, who were way more into music at that point than I was and, like, way more aware of all the music that came before that would have been 2013. Um, they they filmed a segment that would be shown during intermission that was based on the Sabotage video. Perfect. So that, as soon as I heard that, I was like, this song is amazing. Like, this is so cool. And they put like fake mustaches dressed up as undercover cops. And I thought that video was amazing. So that, and basically all I did was I went and listened to Sabotage and that was it. Unless I was like a 12-year-old, like I could not have been less in tune with it. Yeah. But I, I knew the general idea, like they were a huge deal for a certain period of time for an extended period of time and they were one of the first really big acts in hip hop. So I watched the documentary last night at about midnight and then fell asleep for the last half an hour. <laughs> so I finished the rest today. And first off, as someone who is not a person who grew up on their music or was super into it, I thought it was a really well done and interesting documentary. So just in terms of entertainment value, I think there's a lot there. I think it's one of the better, uh, <laughs> apart from Tiger King, one of the better documentaries <laughs> I've watched recently. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, like I, the most interesting points for me, they kept talking about like, we did X and Y because we thought it was funny. Yeah. we did this, we chose this beat, we chose these lyrics, we chose these outfits because we thought it was funny. Yeah. And nowadays, you hear all these, like, stuck-up artists, like, yeah, like, this lyric was, like, traced back to my mom's book that I read <laughs> in, like, my bedroom every night at 2 a.m. And these guys are just, like, we thought it was funny. Yeah. And, like, I love that because, like, there, there are a lot of, like, serious parts of the documentary and their story But like, I love their attitude and like later in their career, they obviously got like more serious. Like we were like, actually feel like musicians at this point. But like, even then they were like, we just thought it was funny. Mm -hmm. Um, and I love that part. And I mean, my main takeaway also was just that what's the equivalent now. And I just think it's so much more difficult to have that widespread influence when, I mean I'm sure we'll come up with subgenres and maybe whole new genres in the future but like <laughs> almost everyone has their place right now. Yeah. And another huge thing is with all the streaming services and how easy it is to get music in front of people. Like there aren't those barriers to entry and everyone can get an hey. account on Spotify or yeah. on Sound
0: on SoundCloud at the very least. Um Yeah, and by the way, this is the part where you know, I, I watched the documentary. I, like, was kind of frozen and was, like, about to go get up and, like, you know, probably go write a review or go ski. And I was like, I, wait, I can't get up right now. Like, I need to actually kind of process this documentary a little bit and through writing. And so – but the, the claim that I made that I'm very open to the critique that, like, dude, that that's like an old man move – is that I said if these guys came out right now, they would be the biggest thing in music. And I wondered if that particular claim is where you might be like, nah, dude. But then as we were talking about this the other day, I think I think, you know, things like Spotify and Apple Music really have changed the game. It's different. It's different now. And there aren't there aren't the same gatekeepers, yeah. you know? And and given that, we were trying to come up with, like, who is the most recent act to come up, let's say in the last year or two, or or more recent history, with something th- that approaches the impact that the Beasties had when they came onto the scene? And I think your example was pretty correct. I don't know if you've come up with a different artists since then
1: yeah i mean if we're talking like past five or ten years my suggestion was kanye yeah
0: just because he's one of the few people
1: who has extended well beyond music yeah and he's just a extremely recognizable and influential pop culture figure yeah um
0: and polarizing
1: yeah and very polarizing um i think like beyonce has become like the the person that everyone loves but that's not who the beastie boys were. Um so yeah, Kanye is the one I think of and now like if we're talking like past one or two years, I feel like the only people who make news in the music industry are are often the people who are easy to make fun of almost, like basically people who just get turned into memes. Like like Takashi 69 is just a meme now like and like people make fun of mumble rappers all the time and i don't think there's even though the beastie boys were polarizing i don't think there's people there's a group or individual out there who just like more as many people are thinking about like with the hip hop, like, since there are so many different genres and you can access every single one of them and find more and more artists within that subset, people don't need to branch out to different music or need to be affected by this rising star in country. Like, I never hear country music because I don't listen to the radio and I listen to the music that I want to listen to. Um, so, yeah, I feel like Kanye is the best example in recent memory I can think of.
0: Yeah, I think a Beyonce or a couple years ago, like a Taylor Swift, they were huge and popular, but it wasn't the world. They weren't creating the future and creating huge debates and being polarizing in the way that the beasties were that Kanye was, you know, and then I think like even a Kendrick Lamar, I mostly just think of Kendrick Lamar is Bob Dylan. Like he's so good at what he does. But I don't feel like Kendrick has, like, changed the game in the way that – and, he's and frankly, he's more sane than Kanye. Like, he's not doing dumb shit all the time, you know? And God bless you, Kanye, but seriously, you know? And so Kendrick is just, like, on point. It's funny how that almost takes you out of this debate because, like, the thing about the Beasties was not that they were, like, the most on point – artists out there they were just like they just didn't care and they're like this is what we're into we truly don't care what you're into since everyone has such a broader
1: pool to utilize and search through in terms of music like everyone can find a kind of find their niche whereas like if i was just listening to the radio it's just just drastically more limiting in terms of what you can find so now i don't know i feel like it's way more difficult to become a worldwide sensation and my perspective is also pretty skewed because i like me and all my friends went the opposite way all the way starting like middle school and high school like we found the bands we liked we liked indie music i haven't listened to a pop radio station in years and yeah. years and years And so it's almost like we're deliberately avoiding it. Um, And I know many people still listen to that stuff and that's why people get famous. But it's just so much easier to not get into the mainstream for a lot of people. And I feel like that's just in general becoming more popular. So that's a good point. Yeah.
0: When you, if you fast forward 20 years and you look back to like high school, college, did you even have an artist that you're like you know what i mean like when the dot comes out 20 years from now who would it even be on for for you and your you know crew broad you know meant in the broadest way yeah from the high school and college days
1: i don't there wasn't anyone that like even in a my like close friend group of like 10 people i don't think there was a single person or single group or artist that impacted us equally as much like like for me it would probably be Bon Iver but I was really into indie folk in high school and still am but then for others it was hip-hop or electronic music or any number of things and yeah so I, I don't think there was even in my friend group like or even in my class probably I don't think there was any single artist that was like huge for all of us And I think this is more of a personal thing, but like I've moved more and more into just playlists rather than albums. And so fewer and fewer albums where I'm like, I love listening to that straight through. I think I'm just getting, like I listen to music probably on average 10 hours a day while I'm working all the time. So like (laughs) listening to an album over and over again can be limiting (laughs) when you're, Listening to it that often so yeah like there are a ton I have a ton of favorite artists but there's not as many I don't think as like clear standouts and most of them who I would label as such are from high school or middle school or very early times in college and more and more I feel like I'm not quite as into particular artists so yeah I I think it's changed a lot just just based on watching that documentary and Living my life. So now what I hope
0: is for any, let's say, 16 to 25-year-old people listening to this still, (laughs) I would love for you. What are you doing? Yeah, yeah. I would love for you to to seriously, like, write us, leave a comment in the show notes to this episode if you have a different take on this than Luke. I'm genuinely Mm. curious. Yeah, because I'm just one data point. Yeah. And, you know, you're a weirdo. Yeah. Yeah, and most of my friends wow, were. Wow, he, sa- so. he said yes to that super quick. I thought he was going to...
1: I mean, we yeah, like none of my friends were listening to pop music at all, and we were all very much into... And not like super indie, like hardcore punk or anything like that. We just like, liked our own
0: stuff, and it, most of it wasn't on the radio. Okay. I think our work here is done. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Um, we're going to do these a bit more regularly like probably at least once a month and so apologies to those whose questions we did not get to some of the questions we didn't get to the, today we will we will get to next time but we will do a call out like we did for this episode when we're going to do this again luke happy cinco de mayo i never it's the first white russian i've ever had in, a can. <laughs> in a can on cinco de mayo so there's that. It's a, it's a time for firsts. And yeah. every day you're alive that you can do something where you're like, I've never done that before. It's probably not the worst way to measure how, how good your life is.
1: As long as it's not like dying.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've <laughs> tried that a few other days. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So is Eric. <laughs> yeah.
0: So um, anyway, thanks, everybody. Um, thank you for submitting the questions. You guys are great. Improved, you proved that once again. And uh, thanks. Happy Cinco de Mayo. Be safe, take good care, talk to you soon. Well, that's it for this edition of Gear 30. And thanks to all of you who asked really good questions. And we will, in our next mailbag episode, pick up on some of the questions that we didn't get to in this episode. And we will ask you guys to submit some new questions as well. So once again, you always impress with your questions. So thanks for asking good ones. I also want to say thanks to Justin Bob for producing this episode, and of course, thanks to you for listening. And if you happen to be enjoying these Gear 30 episodes, you know, Cinco de Mayo edition in particular, or any of our other podcasts, we would very much appreciate it if you would leave us a nice little rating or review in iTunes. Maybe share this with your friends, or maybe don't share this one with your friends. I don't know. Hard to say. We'll leave that one up to you. Anyway... From all of us here in the Gunnison Valley, please be safe out there. Please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we will talk to you again next week.